Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. But hey, as I start my message this morning, I just, I want to start us off in a place of honesty, if that's right. I think that's a good place to start, to start a sermon. And, And the truth is that I do like Christmas, right? I like the value that Christmas brings. I like the value of of family and, and generosity and, and kindness, and I like the value of food, probably most of all. But there's something about, there's something about Christmas that just tends to frustrate me a little bit. And uh, I'm sure I'm probably going to offend a couple of people by saying this here this morning, but I tend to get a little bit frustrated with carols each year, and, and I don't know what it is. You know, generally I'm a person who really loves music, you know, I'm, I lead worship here every other week and, and I love music, I love all types of music, I love all genres, I love all styles, but there's something about carols that, that just tends to grind my gears a little bit and, and I'm not sure what it is. You know, maybe it's because they're, they're repetitive, you know, I've sung the same carols every year of my entire life and so maybe they just get stuck in my head and I get a little bit sick of them every year or, you know, another reason is that carols, they're actually can be quite musically difficult, and so maybe I get frustrated because I struggle to play them here at church every year, and you know, maybe I get frustrated because they're all written a long time ago, and if I'm being completely honest, I actually don't know what a bunch of the words mean. Like, we're singing Excelsis Deo this morning. I don't actually know what that means, but it does feel holy, and it feels good to sing, but <laughs> they just tend to frustrate me, and I'm not sure what it is, but if I'm being completely honest, there's one redeeming factor for carols for me. There's one redeeming factor that helps me to, to endure them each year. And, and what, I love about car- uh, what I love about carols is that they unite so many different types of people each year singing songs about the birth of Jesus. You know, I love that. I love that this time of year we can, we can turn on the TV and we can see people singing songs about the birth of Jesus. Now, when we're walking through the grocery store, when we're picking up our groceries, there's songs inspired by the birth of Jesus playing on the speakers, and I absolutely love that. I think that is incredible. Do you know the, the word carol actually means to sing a song of praise or, or a song of joy? And I love that we dedicate an entire month each year where all, the wor- where all the world joins in singing songs inspired by the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, the most sold single of all time is actually a Christmas carol. Now, it's a song inspired by the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And that means a Christmas carol is more popular than any of the songs by the Beatles, by Elton John, by Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber. It's more popular than all of these, and by a lot, by like 40%, 20 million single sales is the difference between a song inspired by Jesus and the Beatles. And I think that is pretty incredible. And, and so as we continue our manual series this morning, I want us to take a look at the first ever song inspired by the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, this song is actually written before Jesus is born. And, and what's cool is that it's still sung in churches all over the world today. Now, this song isn't written by a great composer. It's not written by the likes of Bach or, or Handel or, or anything like that. It's not sung by Bing Crosby. It's not sung by Guy Sebastian. It's actually a song that is welled up out of the heart of an unwed teenage Jewish girl. She's not married. She's alone. She's, she's on the precipice of a scandal. You know, it's written by Jesus' mum, Mary. 
The song is called The Magnificent, or The Magnificant, if you're a little bit fancy and you'd like to pronounce your A's a little bit differently. And it's essentially called that just because when it's originally sung in the Latin, that's the first word of the song, The Magnificent. And, and so this morning, is, as, I, as I bring a message, I want us to just to sit in this song a little bit, to sit in a song that, that's a song of worship and a song of praise coming out of the heart of an unwed, pregnant Jewish teenager in a time of uncertainty and worry. And, and so if you've got your Bibles here with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to, to Luke uh, 1, verse 46. Um, it's going to be on the screen as well. But if you do have your phones, let me encourage you to open up on your phone. I think it's, I think it's a good good for us to be doing that. We can highlight it, we can take notes, and for me at least, it just helps it resonate with my spirit a little bit more, but do what you want to do. So Luke 1, 46, it says, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name, his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You know, this is a, this is a song of worship to God. In the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the worry and the despair, Mary actually turns to God in worship, in adoration. And it's a powerful song of worship. It's a a personal song of worship. Mary knows that she's not alone when she's singing it. She knows that she's in the presence of her Savior. She knows that God is with us as we worship. And, And Mary sings this song when she doesn't know what's going to happen. Right, an angel of the Lord has come and, 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 and seen Mary and spoken to Mary, and that's scary enough in itself, but then the angel of God actually brings a message to Mary saying, hey, you're going to fulfill God's plan. Right, you're going to give birth to the son, and I don't know about you, but if I'm in Mary's shoes, that's a terrible, terrifying concept. Right? That's a lot of responsibility for Mary, and you know, she's not married yet. She's engaged to be with Joseph, but they're not even married yet. And so I reckon Mary's wondering how people are going to be perceiving what's happening, right? Like, what's Joseph going to think? Let's put ourselves in that position for a while. That's a hard, that's a hard thing to understand, right? Imagine a friend, a spouse, a child or something coming to you and saying, hey, I'm pregnant, but it's not out of anything that I've done. It's because an angel of God's come to me. He's told me the plan. I'm going to give birth to his son. And I think it's fair to say that there's going to be skeptics to Mary's story, and that gives Mary a great reason to be fearful, to be worried. You know, in that time, having a baby out of, uh, out of wedlock is, is reason for divorce. It's, it's actually reason to be stoned, and to be stoned to death, and, and I don't know, I just think Mary's going to be really, really scared. You know, she's in a small town, and I'm sure word travels fast, I'm sure rumors travel fast, I bet you Mary's feeling the weight of those rumors, feeling the weight of the judgment that's to come, you know, what are her friends going to think? What are her parents going to think? There's a lot to be scared of, and if I'm in her shoes, I'm going to be riddled with doubt. I'm going to be stressed out of my brains. But what I love about Mary's song is that she doesn't speak to any of that. Right? She doesn't speak to the fear. She doesn't speak to the worry or, or what other people might be thinking about her. Instead, in the first verse, she just says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. 
And Mary chooses to magnify God. Her song could have easily been, you know, woe is me, God, you've given me this great burden. Why must I, why must I carry this? Why have you led me into a scandal? You know, her song could have been a song of lament, like we see in the Psalms all those times, but it's not. Instead, she chooses to magnify God, to praise God, to sing of his majesty, his power, his justice. You know, what I love about Mary is her willingness to praise in the pain. You know, make the conscious effort to, to choose to worship God and to choose to glorify God despite everything that is going on around her. And what I love about Mary's song is that if we look at it a little bit deeper, if we look at the language that she's using, it's actually quite evident that she's, she's stealing language from the songs that she would have been sung as a kid. Right? The songs that would have been etched in her heart from her parents singing to them. She's used the scripture and her understanding of God to paint her worship and to paint a picture of her worship. You know, there's great similarities between Mary's song and, and a song a lady called Hannah sings in the Old Testament, you know. We find that in 1 Samuel, and Hannah's story is essentially she's married to a guy who's got two wives, and, and the other wife is able to have a bunch of children. She's very fertile, but for whatever reason, Hannah isn't able to have any children. And, and to make matters worse, this other wife begins to ridicule Hannah. Right? She makes fun of her, she, she belittles her sense of self-worth and um, essentially just makes fun of her because of her circumstance. And, and so Mary, uh, Hannah sorry, turns to God and in despair and in agony and says, God, would you have favor on your lowly servant? Would you give me a child? And, and, and God hears her prayer. And, and as the story goes on, Hannah gives birth to a child and, and because God's given it to her, she actually gives it back to the temple. She gives it to the priest, and, 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 and Samuel's given to the priest, and, and as she's doing that, Hannah sings this beautiful song to God in the process of doing that. And there's a remarkable similarity between the two songs that, that Mary and Hannah sing. You know, it's clear that Mary knows Hannah's story. And we see that, we see that Mary's song it echoes that story. It echoes it in the language. It echoes in the sentiment. And, and even more, Mary's language echoes a bunch of the songs that we see in the Psalms. You know, it's clear, it's evident that Mary's worship has come from the Scripture. It's come from the songs that she's known as a child. And this is before the days that, you know, everyone's got a Bible. No one's got a Bible in the house. Mary can't just go to a bedside table, grab a Bible, choose a favorite verse, and write a song like we do today. These are the songs that are ingrained in her spirit. She would have grown up listening to them. They would have been etched on her heart as a child. And, And so when it comes to a time of pain... When it comes to a time of anguish and turmoil, Mary turns to the scripture she knows. Now, in this season, Mary would have been sick with worry, right? Let alone just being sick from being pregnant. She would have been sick with worry. She would have had a bunch of emotions rattling around in her brain. And and what's the next best step? How is she going to move forward? But she turns to the scripture. She knows that the word of the Lord is good and true, and she bases her comfort on the truth of the Scripture. And what I love about this is that the Scripture gives voice to her worship. I reckon that's the same for us here today as well. I reckon the Scripture gives voice to our worship. When we bathe in the Word of God, it gives voice to our worship. Our worship is an outworking of the things of our heart. You know, Mary bathed in the, in the promises, in the, in the magnification and the word of God, and so her worship is an outworking of that. Our worship is fed by what we do, and, and so I want to ask this this morning, what, what's feeding your worship? Is it the word of God, or, or is it something else? Is the word of God ingrained in your spirit like Mary, or, or do you need to make a conscious effort to sit with the word a little bit more?
to memorize it, to, to write it on your heart. You know, it's clear to see what we're worshipping because it's the thing that takes up the most time in our life, right? And so it's that thing that when there's nothing else to think about, it's what our minds are drawn to. It's what, it's what we think about. And when there's nothing else going on, what we worship is the thing that's most prominent in our minds. And so I wonder for a bunch of us if that's actually God. Is God the thing that you ponder when there's nothing else to think about? Is it the thing that you keep being drawn to? Is your worship an outworking of God's ministry in your life, or is it something else? I think that's a challenging question. Is your worship an outworking of God in your life and the scripture in your life, or is it something else? You know, Mary's song, it goes on to say in verse 50, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. You know, Mary's reminding herself of God's faithfulness, right? She's ingrained in the scripture, so she knows that God's a faithful God. She knows that he's been faithful to Abraham, to Jacob, to Moses, to David. She knows that he's faithful to the chosen people and that she is faith, he is faithful to her as well. And, and what I like about this is that when Mary reminds herself of his faithfulness, her own faith is filled. Right? When we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, our faith is filled. When we are filled with faith, we begin to see the world around us through a new perspective. And, and Manny talked about this just a little bit before, but, but the lens of our life begins to change from an earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective. And, and when we're filled with faith, we begin to see things through a new lens, through the lens of God's power and his majesty. And the things that were once scaring us, the one, things that once seemed unmanageable, now seem manageable through the strength and perspective of God. And he's always been at work. We know that he's faithful. We can see it in the scriptures, just like Mary could. We can see it in the history of church, and we can see people turn away from God and God still welcoming people home. And I reckon for a bunch of us, we can even see God's faithfulness in our own lives, right? We can look back at the way that he's moved and, and seen his faithfulness in our own lives. And, and this year, I reckon there's been a theme to a bunch of our songs. And I reckon that theme has been faithfulness, right? We've sung songs like, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you've been so good. We sing songs like... Um, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, I believe that you can do it again. Or remember that our God has never failed, never failed us. Remember that his name will make a way. And I think in the midst of what this year has been, is we've needed those songs, right? I think we always need those songs because they build our faith. When we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, our own faith is filled. When we look to the past and see how God has moved, it gives us hope for how he's going to continue to move in the challenges that face us. You know, believing that once again he will make our way. Our God is faithful, but we as his people need to remind ourselves of that. And when we do that, our own faith is filled to see his new perspective for what is ahead of us. You know, I often, I often wonder why it is that God chose Mary, right, to, to birth his son, to raise the Messiah. Now, why did God choose someone so young? Why did God choose someone who's got no experience being a mum? It's not like she's had other children, that she's kind of worked it out. She's been around the traps for a little while. She's a brand new mum. She doesn't have that experience. Why did God choose her? You know, let, let alone not having the experience, she's actually not even married yet. She's a teenager. She doesn't know what her own future holds, let alone like how she's going to raise a child. And I wonder why. Surely God's got a reason. You know, that's a scary, that's a scary thing raising a child, let alone the savior of all mankind. 
Now, Soph and I have been lucky to welcome Zoe into the world, little baby Zoe, about four months ago. And the only thing I can say with confidence is that I've got no clue what I'm doing. Like, it's the scariest stuff ever. Right? And Zoe doesn't even move around yet, and she's already enough trouble for us. It's a terrifying thing being a parent. Now, if I wanted to, I could read every single book. I could read every single podcast. There's websites galore of, of how to parent, how to parent well, how to discipline, how to discipline well, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. If I wanted to, I could go down every single rabbit hole on the internet and find a hundred different opinions. And, and what I've found is that every second thing I read completely contradicts the first thing that I've read. And so eventually, I've just stopped reading. It's confusing. And and, you know, we always say that babies don't come with an instruction manual, and, that, and that's true, and I wish we did. There's a lot of money in that if someone wants to take that idea. But the truth is, is that we're a lot more resourced today to expect and, and to know what's going on with the baby than Mary was. And still, I feel clueless. Now, as parents, Soph and I feel the responsibility to raise Zoe well, to, to raise her to love God, right? To raise her in the fruits of the Spirit, to raise her to be a decent human being, to raise her to be an incredible cowboy supporter, and to raise her to be a lover of the ballet as well. You know, we put expectations on ourselves as parents. There are so many things that we want to instill in her. We want her to be a good follower of God. We want her to be a good friend, someone who is patient and kind, someone who is a person of justice. And, you know, Sophie and I talk about these things pretty regularly. And we sit down and we talk about how we can be instilling these characteristics in our little daughter. And the reality is that she actually doesn't really know that I exist yet. <laughs> you know, but we already feel the weight of this. We already feel the weight of this because of our love for her. We feel the, the weight of the burden to, to care for her, to nurture her, to raise her well in a safe and stable environment. And we do this because we love her. We do this because we want the best for her. And, and when I think back to Mary, I reckon she would have had all those same thoughts. Yeah, I reckon she would have felt the weight of her love for her baby. She would have felt the weight of the love for her Jesus. She would have felt the burden of the expectation that she put on herself as a parent. And, but to top it all off, right, she's also carrying the burden of literally raising the saviour of all humankind. That's crazy. That's a fearful moment. I admire Mary in that. And, and even on top of that, once again, she's doing it not knowing what her future holds, not knowing if she's going to marry, not knowing if the ones that she loves are going to disown her, not knowing if she's going to be stoned. And she does it in the unknown. And it's tough, but, but God used Mary. God chose her. God chose an unwed teenager to bring into the world and raise the Messiah. He used Mary to enact his will, to bring into the world a saviour and change the course of human history forever. God used Mary and God trusted Mary. Right? God trusted Mary with his own son. God trusted Mary with Jesus. And my question for us today is what has God trusted you with? Now, what is it that he's given you to use? What is it that he's put in your hands to enact his will? How does he want to use you? I reckon God gives us all different gifts and passions and, and talents and, and skills, and it's his will for us to use what he's put in our hand to bring glory to him, right? to worship him. And, and for you, that might not look like singing a song. It might not look like writing a song like, like Mary did. It might just be in the way that you interact at work. It might be you, using what God's given you at work. It might be how you lead or raise your family. It, it might be how you choose what your future is going to look like. 
But God has given us all something and he's entrusted something to all of us. And it's our responsibility to use that gift to give him glory. It's our responsibility. We need to take what he's given us and use that to give his glory. And as I say this, I'm reminded about that story of the, the ten or the talents, right? The, the, the master, he goes away for a little bit, and before he does that, he brings in his three servants. He gives five bags of gold to the first servant, two bags of gold to the second servant, one bag of gold to the, to the, the third servant, and, and he goes away on, on holiday, like, I don't know, business deal or something like that. And, and when he comes back, you know, the first servant's been faithful with what he's given. He's, he's gone, he's invested, I don't know, he's bought cows, <laughs> sold cow, exchange market. I don't, know, like, I, don't know how he's, I don't know how he's done it, but he's doubled his money, <laughs> all right? <laughs> so he doesn't have five bags of gold. He says, master, when the master returns, he gives him back 10 bags of gold. Here's what you got. And the same thing with the second servant, right? He's doubled his money from two bags of gold to four bags of gold. But when it comes to the, to the third servant, he was too scared to use it, right? It says that he's gone and, and he's buried it. He hasn't invested it. He hasn't done anything with it. And so when the master comes back, he looks favorably on the first two, right? He rewards them favorably, handsomely. But when it comes to the third one, he casts them out, right? He calls them wicked and lazy, and he casts him out. I reckon God has trusted each of us with gifts, passions, and, and talents, and he wants us to use those to grow his kingdom, to enact heaven on earth, but, but we've got to be diligent in using them. And so I wonder, what is it that he's trusted you with? What has he given you to use? He gives us all different things, and, and his only will is that we use those to bring glory to him to magnify him. We use those things to point other people to him. You know, Mary magnified God in her song, and, and she magnified him by living out that same song as well. And she was trusted to be Jesus' mum, and, and I reckon her parenting journey, I reckon some of her key lessons that she taught Jesus growing up were the words of this song, right? That God is worthy of praise, that God is faithful, that, that he is just, that he lifts up the lowly. And I think we can see these key principles outworked through Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus was faithful. He upheld the lowly. You know, we see him feed the hungry. We see him heal the sick. He lifted the poor and brought justice. And we see that near the end of uh, Mary's song as well. It says in verse 51 that, that he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know, Mary knows that God is a God of justice. She knows that he looks down on her situation with a kind heart, seeing his lowly servant and, and elevating her to be the mother of the Messiah. She, know that, she knows that God brings balance everywhere and that he sees everyone. I reckon this is exactly what she taught her son as well. I reckon she would have sung this song over him and that it would have been ingrained in Jesus' spirit as well. And You know, Jesus is famous for teaching this kind of stuff. You know, Jesus is famous for teaching an upside-down theology, you know, where the first shall be last and, and the last shall be first. You know, he teaches, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the merciful. Jesus taught that those who were the least shall become the greatest. He embodied God's justice and he lived it out. Jesus didn't just teach the upside kingdom, right? He lived it out as well. He did. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. He helped the poor. Jesus blessed those who were in need and he enacted God's justice on earth. I think that's a lesson for us. I reckon just like Jesus, God has called all of us to enact his justice on earth, to bless those without worldly power, 
to help those without worldly wealth, importance or, or influence. And this Christmas season, as we heard before, we have an opportunity to partner with God in that, to partner with God in, in bringing justice. You know, through our Christmas appeal at Gateway this year, we have the opportunity as a church to give young girls in Cambodia a chance to begin again. Now, girls who have faced in incredible hardship, and, and we've heard the, the heart of Bloom before by Ruth. Thanks, Ruth, for coming and sharing with us. We've heard the heart of Bloom, and I want to encourage us as a church to be prayerfully considering what it looks like to be enacting God's justice in the world this year. Now, prayerfully considering what it looks like for you to be able to give to Bloom, to help these girls and give them a chance to begin again. And, and so after the service, Manny said there's going to be um, some lovely ladies at the stand. You can go talk to them, find out how it is that you can help, how it is that you can give. And I'll encourage us as a church to, to, to be, help those girls to begin again. But I don't believe that it's just good enough to, to teach God's justice, right? We have to enact it. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that. It's important that we live it as well, just as Jesus did. And we need to allow God to, to work through us, allow him to stir up inside us a passion for his will, allow him the space in our lives to speak his justice through us. We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zones and, and say, yes, God, may your will be done. Now, when the angel appeared to Mary, we're going back to the story, when the angel appeared to Mary for the first time, Mary's terrified, right? Just just and first and foremost, because there's an angel there. That's absolutely terrifying. And, and then the angel comes and she says the, the message and the plan of Jesus. And it says in the scripture that, that um, Mary was greatly troubled by his words. And I think that's a delicate way of putting it. You know, it's a pretty scary moment. And it's a pretty scary promise that the angel is bringing. But I love Mary's response to it. Right after the angel has told Mary what's going to happen and promised that the, the word of God will never fail, her response is this, it's in Luke uh, 1.38. It says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now she's saying, yes. <laughs> Let it be done. Let it be according to your word. And in the midst of everything that's going on in, in Mary's life, I'm sure there's doubt, I'm sure there's worry, I'm sure there's stress, but her response is still to say, yes, God, let it be according to your word. I reckon that's the response that all of us need to be embodying when, when God calls us to do something hard, when God calls us into the unknown. Now, this is a response that we see echoed in Jesus' ministry as well. Right on the night before Jesus is arrested, you know, he takes the disciples up to the Mount of Olives, to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and then he goes on his own and he prays, and he prays to God. He wrestles with what's going to happen. It's tough, and he wrestles with what's going to happen because he knows it's not going to be great for him. He knows it's going to be hard. But what I love about Jesus' response as well is that ultimately he reconciles it and says, not my will, but yours be done according to your word. Not my will, but yours be done according to your word. And it's while Jesus is praying this, that, that an angel comes and, and appears to him, and it says that the angel strengthens Jesus for, for what's to happen and for, for what's to come. And you know, after that, Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, he's beaten, and then he's crucified on the cross. And, and three days later, he rises, and having defeated death, and, and, and then he, he goes back up to heaven, and, and 40 days later, the Spirit comes and dwells with his people, right? And that's the same spirit that's with us today. It's the spirit that God has imparted on his people, and it ministers to us. It speaks to us, and, and kind of like the angels strengthened Jesus, I reckon the spirit strengthens us to have that same response, to have the response that says, 
yes, not my will, but yours be done, according to your word. I reckon we've all had times of, of needing to step into the unknown in our lives. I think we all know that it's hard to step out into the unknown without the security of knowing what's going to happen or, or, or how God's going to be faithful to us and needing to believe that the things will work out for good. But I can think of tons of times in my own life where, where I have had to step out and, and, and remind myself that God is faithful. And the thing is that it's hard. Right? I reckon we all know it's hard. It's one of the hardest things to do, especially when it comes to, to stepping into the unknown, when it comes to finances or work or, or where you're going to live or, or food. It's a hard thing. But in my experience, when it's been from God, he's always been faithful. He's always been faithful. His will is good. Right? His ways are better than my ways. Our attitude needs to be one that says, not my will, but yours, according to your word. And, and for us today, I pray that as a community, we would, we would be that kind of people, a people who live out that response every day, not my will, but yours, right? Not my will, but yours, according to your word. That we would be a people who magnify God, that we would be a people who remember God's faithfulness towards us and step out in faith to enact his will of justice throughout our world. Mary didn't sing her song to, to get something out of it for herself, right? Worship isn't a selfish act. Rather, she worshipped in response to what, was God, to what God was doing in the world around her. And she knew it was going to be hard, but she knew that, that God was strong and, and that he was faithful. And, and I pray that we would be a people as well who respond to God's commands in worship. That we would magnify him, allowing him to work through us, saying, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That we would, that we would magnify him, that we would remember his faithfulness that we remember his faithfulness, that we would have our own faith filled and, and that by doing that, he would change our perspective to see everything that he's called us to do, not in the light of what we can do, but in the light of what he's called us to do, in the light of his strength, in the light of his power. You reckon? So that, we can, so that we can say with confidence and authority that, God, we don't want our will to be done. We want your will to be done. According to your word. Help us to say that. Come on, why not pray? This Heavenly Father, we want to we wanna thank you for, for sending your Son. God, we want to thank you for that sacrifice. We want to thank you that we get to live in eternity with you, God, that we get to spend the rest of our lives with you, that you are with us right now. And God, we want to thank you for, for the example that Mary's worship is to us, for the example of what it looks like to praise you in the pain example of what it looks like to praise you in the unknown. And, and God, we, we ask that you would help us to be a people who do that. You would help us to be a people whose first response to worry and fear and doubt is to sing about how good you are or is to proclaim in our lives your faithfulness. And God, we ask that as we do that, that you would be filling us with faith, that you would be changing our perspective that you would be helping us see the things that you've called us into and that you would give us the courage and the strength to step into those things. To say, not my will, but your will be done. God, would we be, would we be a people who live that in our everyday? Would we be known for, for not seeking our own uh, self-interest, for not being selfish in the way that we uh, serve the world, but God, being uh, responsive to what it is that you're wanting to do through us. God, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the strength to step out in faith 
and do that. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for all that you have given. And together we said, amen. Hey, come on, why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to finish this morning by singing a song of worship in it is a carol, but it's an easy carol, and so I like this song. And what I want us to do is, is, as we're singing this song, I want to encourage us while we're singing it to allow these words to become your own heart of worship. Now, allow yourself to magnify God in this moment right now, right here. Allow your worship to rise to Him. Allow yourself to magnify Him with all that you are. We know that the Spirit is here with us right now. Yeah, because God, God's promised it to us. And so I want to encourage you to let this song be a response to God's faithfulness in your own life. In the midst of everything going on right now, allow this song to be a moment to put God first. To say, God, you're the most important thing in my life. I'm going to take what you have trusted me and use it for your will. It might be hard. It, it might seem daunting. But I'm going to choose to worship you right now. I'm going to choose to remind myself of your faithfulness. I'm going to choose to allow you to stir up my own faith. You know, we don't worship because we get, we get something out of it, but because God and, and the Spirit is in the presence with us right now. And I don't know how else we'd respond to that except in worship, except in adoration. So as we sing this song, I want to encourage you to remind yourself of God's faithfulness, right? to be filled with faith and to allow Him to change your answer to be not my will, but yours be done through me, according to your word. So come on, let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.